Smartcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. So often you're pulling skill sets from like related businesses that didn't have the values focus, but now they can use what they've learned, but with a lens towards their passion. And that's really when I think you unlock people's capability. And then that just means you're a better run, you know, more capable organization. So I view the distributed platform, like distributed network of funders with the distributed network of farms and a distributed organization on top of that to be a really powerful combination. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey there. On this episode of Think Business with Tyler, I'm sitting down with Dan Miller, a guy who's turning the soil of traditional finance to cultivate a more ethical way of funding our farmers. We're digging deep into his journey with Steward, the platform that's sprouting a world of good for regenerative agriculture. So grab your mug and settle in. It's time to rethink business with a touch of green. Let's get started. Hey, Dan, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today? Going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, Dan. We were chatting a little bit before we started and you're, you're doing some fun stuff. Hey, I wanted to, before we get into the details of that, I want to talk about you. Like, Tell me a little bit about what you do professionally and then maybe a little tidbit about you personally. Yeah, my name is Dan Miller. I'm the founder and CEO of Steward, which is a platform to raise capital online for regenerative farms. Um, prior to that, I was the co-founder of Fundrise, which was the first real estate crowdfunding platform. And that was actually a spinoff of a real estate development company that I had started with my brother, which was then related to a family real estate company. So I've got a mother's family in agriculture, father in real estate, and all of my work has related to you know what I learned through those family and personal experiences and how to bring that kind of opportunity and capacity elsewhere. So I'm always someone who's been very entrepreneurial, working on non-traditional pioneering projects, and always been frustrated with the lack of available capital, particularly values-aligned capital. So my search through Fundrise for real estate capital and steward for agricultural capital is how can we find the people who care about these types of projects and provide that to the entrepreneurs doing these projects at reasonable terms and reasonable costs. And so it's always been like, how do we develop these alternatives, not just as a new place to put capital, but really to provide the money to those non-traditional projects that are needed, that that are not just good businesses, but are, are provide other cultural, you know, ecological benefits. And how do we get them the resources to succeed? 
So cool. Anything, uh, you did a little bit personal there about your family and farming, but any little personal anecdotal thing you can share about yourself? Yeah, my, uh, I've actually, my family is from the Eastern shore of Maryland and that was my agricultural link. And then I've recently learned that my great grandfather was the lighthouse keeper of the Hooper Strait Lighthouse, which is a one of the famous Chesapeake Bay lighthouses now at the Maritime Museum. And I was just there a few weeks ago and I saw his plaque in the, in the lighthouse. So it's been cool to me to, to reconnect with my roots and discover new things I didn't know that I have uh, deeper ties than I even realized. And uh, that, that brings a lot of meaning to this work. That is so cool. That is really cool. You know, we were talking before we started these various capital platforms that have been in existence. And it seems like I pick the ones that oftentimes don't do well. But Fundrise is one that actually has done really well for me. What are your thoughts around, you know, if you're someone on the outside and you're looking at these platforms, like what should you be looking for? Like what are what are some things that you value and maybe someone that's cons- would consider, you know, like a Fundrise platform and maybe your new one, what are the things they should look for? Yeah, the, the challenge with these types of online financing platforms is you have multiple element components of expertise that have to be integrated together. So you have the like deal sourcing, underwriting, servicing that that's more traditional, you know, provisioning of credit investment expertise. Then you have the regulatory element where you're dealing with retail and broad base. You have a lot of regulations and oversight that you have to put in place. And then you have the technology development where you have to build the platform, you have to make sure the payment processing works. And you have to communicate to your your base of funders. And so I often find like it's critical to have a team that knows the asset class, that has experience in asset class, that has networks so they can source deals, like has a really deep specialized understanding of what they're doing. I'm always very skeptical of any broad-based platform. I don't think you can be an expert in all types of business and all types of deals. And so I was like, who specializes with a niche that they really understand well? Another thing that look at is like, what's the capitalization of the company? Like, do the founders of the company have resources they've put in? Do they have real skin in the game? Who have they raised capital from? Ideally, they've raised from patient longer term capital, not, you know, high return venture money that that will give up on a company that doesn't thrive. Because for these types of direct online platforms, and, and that's people use the term crowdfunding, it's more about direct online distribution of investments and loans. So it's about that using the technology and internet to distribute them. And so you want to make sure that you have a long-term plan because just Fundrise is an example, you know, it took 15 years to get to the scale where it could break even. I mean, it's a long, it's a long time. It's a lot of investment in building capacity and building the technology and building the capital base to do it. And so you really need like long-term planning, long-term thinking and resilience. And then a third component, which I we were talking about as well, is you need a diverse capital base. I think a lot of platforms, uh, particularly some of the early ones too, that were doing you know business loans and personal loans, they pretended like it was a, a kind of broad-based capital base, but 80-90% of their money was from just a few institutional investors. And then all of a sudden, the underwriting model was a little different, and those investors changed their terms or pulled the money, and now the capital base is gone. And how can you build a resilient system? So you really need diverse capital base, experienced entrepreneurs, real skin in the game, and it's and it's very challenging. So what I, what I've done at Seward and now and previously at Fundrise is like how do you build a specialized enterprise that taps on you know family and personal knowledge to really understand a market, and then how do you build a set of services and financing to options that are just for that niche enterprise? And that way you know that customer well. You're designing for them. You're iterative, and then you build a, a capital base around that. 
I've also personally, this is more of my impact values lens. I don't focus on return as the only measure. And so I find platforms that are just focused on return, that are just like, come here for yield, come here to chase return. Those ones tend to promote high returns and the returns don't always materialize. I'm more of the view is promote reasonable returns, tell the narrative of the project, connect people to the entrepreneur, to the values behind the business, find people that are aligned with that enterprise and raise capital through them. And they're going to be more resilient because they're not just there looking for returns. They're there because they want to return, but also because they care about this project. And so that that's really what has driven me now through Stewart is how do you provide capital to an underserved segment of the market that's doing incredibly impactful work, but doesn't have access to capital. And so by linking people who care about, in this case, regional food systems with the producers growing healthy food, you now have an affinity. It's not just an economic transaction. It's also a, a cultural and personal link. And so I think that also creates resilience because in a downturn, when most investors are pulling their money and or demanding higher returns, if people care about the projects, they're going to stick around more. They're going to accommodate adjustments that may have to be made. And so that's where I've always been like really values narrative focused of like, let's find the right capital for the deal, not just say, yeah, you're going to make a big return and come to this platform to make lots of money. Does cash flow have you down? Profit, not where you think it should be. Maybe it's the long hours. Let's meet to see if I can help. I bridge driving the financial performance of your business to hit growth and success targets. Book a complimentary meeting at meetforgrowth.com to get started now. Once again, that's meetforgrowth.com. I look forward to talking with you. And thanks for listening to the show. Let's find the right capital for the deal, not just say yeah, you're going to make a big return and come to this platform to make lots of money. So it sounds like very niche focus, get people that's, that are interested in that niche, in that area. They have It's a cause to them. Obviously, a lot less capital, I would assume, because there's less people that are interested necessarily in that area. You know, one thing that I was was resonating with me that you said a few minutes ago, you said 15 years until your break even. That's like, man, that's a long time. Like I always use Amazon as nine years as as being profitable. 15 years is a long time. Is that even how like steward, like in your mind, are you kind of because what I know a little bit about you so far is you seem like you're very methodical. You're not like make a quick buck. You're like think long term. Is that kind of the same timeline you're thinking in your mind for steward? So Steward looks to be on a slightly faster timeline. I think the, okay. the, the you know, so just for clarity, Fundrise investment platform for real estate, you know, Steward uh, lending platform for regenerative agriculture. So I, I thought that I would, I would be able to do Steward much faster, but I actually, it's still taking a lot of time. And so I've definitely learned with these platforms. Like I was thinking, oh, they're similar enterprises. Well, they're different because the needs in the real estate capital market are different than the needs in the sustainable agriculture market and we're actually providing credit whereas in fundrise it was it was equity and securities and investment and so we're using a different regulatory model and a different framework even if it feels similar and so that what I've what I focused on with steward is how do we run this business with with relatively low losses and a relatively straightforward path to break even at not huge volumes because like you said sustainable agriculture regenerative agriculture appeared like a niche industry we'll talk about that later it's actually all of agriculture is doesn't have the right financing. So it's bigger than I thought. But the thought was, you know, these are producers who are focused on soil health, focused on ecology. 
you know, these are not companies and farmers that have tons of money anywhere. So we have to build a lean business. We have to be able to do smaller deals profitably. Like we can't just be an institution that only can do big checks and doesn't work. So we've built a fully remote team, really dedicated, really committed organization that has kept our losses low as we've grown so that we could raise capital to continue it and not need like huge rounds of money to keep going. And then we've had two profitable months in the second half of the year. And basically we're looking at a business that on $50 million of annual lending volume can be break even. And that's pretty low. I mean, 50 million of volume for a lending business is not a high bar. So what I've really, I think, learned the second time is like, how do you build a really efficient team platform organization to run it? Like we have 10 staff, right? How do we build that system really efficient so that as it grows, we're not dealing with a huge expense base? And that's what's happened. Like our expense base is the same as it was last year, but our revenue is four times. So we're basically just able to continue growing with that platform. But that's the beautiful thing of these digital systems. Our user acquisition cost for lenders is almost nothing. They come to the platform, they create an account, they fund. And then same on the on the borrower side, the farmers, they're coming through word of mouth. So we have like almost no marketing spend. It's pretty much all referral, all word of mouth. And so we've built like this natural system that can grow itself without that huge marketing spend. And then can operate remotely and very efficiently without a huge real estate cost, labor cost. So I, I've I've tried to that that was the question I was trying to solve. How can I build it really lean so it doesn't have to be a huge company to work? And then what I found is when you build that type of really great enterprise, new opportunities open up, and all of a sudden, what you maybe thought was a smaller opportunity is a bigger one because you've built a really really good team and a really focused business. Oh, that's fascinating. On the investor side. You said people are, how are they finding you or how, where there's no cost of acquisition in terms of advertising for those dollars? How are they? So that, that's been a key theme for me in building these types of platforms. You know, when, when we began Fundrise, we were actually a real estate development company doing neighborhood scale development with local tenants and design focused. And so we were doing the types of deals that traditional institutional investors didn't know about, didn't care about, didn't want to do. And so we built the platform initially and went through all of the regulatory filings to, to allow local investors for the first deal is just DC and Maryland for a property in DC. How do we have local people invest in local real estate by making that link that they're going to care about it more, they have a personal connection, the outcome matters. And so I found when you sell a narrative-driven product, it tends to carry itself because of the story. And it's been the same with Steward from the beginning, right? We are working with regenerative farmers, and we can talk more about what that means, but we're working with with these types of farmers, we are helping tell their story. We're presenting them to an audience who cares about their work, who's deeply passionate about their work. And so they tend to share it with other people, or they mention it to a friend, or they tell someone about it because they're so excited to have the opportunity to support these enterprises. And so that's where to do a digital, to sell a digital asset, it has to move itself. It has to sell itself. Because when you're dealing with many smaller funders, you can't spend a lot of money to acquire a user. If somebody's funding a few thousand dollars in your platform, like you're just not earning enough on that customer to spend hundreds of dollars to acquire them. So by building a naturally viral product, by designing the financial product to be attractive to people on a personal, emotional level, it actually changes the dynamics of marketing. Instead of spending to bring people People share it naturally. A different scale and speed than the classic start the Silicon Valley, you know, burn fifty million to build a market, but one that doesn't require the same expense and that grows on its own. 
so a lot of times, you know, investors, when, you know, I think of myself when I went to like Paris Street using them as an example, you know, I was thinking, okay, good returns, hands off, you know, diversified portfolio seem to make sense. Who's like, because it sounds like there's a very emotional attachment to people that are doing yours. Are they willing to forego a market rate return in because of that cause? Or how does that, what's that look like? Here's the general balance. And so I, I've, yeah. you know, in the market we're working with, so, you know, regenerative farmers, farm, farmers focused on soil health, uh, growing maybe niche varieties of non-traditional commodities, selling through regional supply chains, often doing value-added products. And so you realize in agriculture, you've got, you know, conventional ag, soy corn, winter wheat, that it gets, you know, grown conventionally, sold through big multinational supply chains. There's tons of money for that type of agriculture. It's a government subsidized, government policy driven. The second you're dealing with alternative agriculture, regionally focused, the non-traditional varieties, the really capital is not available. Historically, that sector has been viewed from more of a charitable grant-making perspective, like, oh, these producers are doing such good work, you know, we'll give them some grants, we'll give them charitable money. But what I've learned in this work is these are actually businesses. They are growing a product that people want. There's enormous growing market demand for traceable, sustainable agricultural products. And if they could get money to produce more, they could sell more and they could earn revenue and they could sustain financing. And so from the beginning, the goal has been with Stewart is how do we build a true capital market unsubsidized with a real cost of capital? So our average loan rates are around prime. Prime is now eight and a half. So we're like, we're at general borrowing rates. And then we only take a 50 basis point spread. So if you fund a loan on our platform, that's at eight and a half percent, you'll get 8% net. And what I find is for most people, earning high single digits is actually a good return. It's actually is suitable. It's for the managed money and the private equity firms, they need the 15% to pay themselves money to then pay the pensioner the 6 8%. And so by disintermediating the capital, we're able to provide a good return, You know, 8% on a senior secured loan is good return, and also cost of capital that the business can sustain. But out of our over 3,500 funders on our platform, none of them are managed money. Like it's not like funds, it's, it's people, whether they're a, a family office, you know, a person with bigger wealth who is putting it out in bigger chunks, or a person who goes to the farmer's market and puts 100 bucks in, like they're driven by the same purpose. So we, we do draw a funder who, who has compassion around these deals. But our proposition is we're giving you an economic return. Like this is the net externalities, the ecological benefits, the health benefits, the land benefits. Those are just arise out of proper land stewardship. Like you can earn money on a loan and be repaid back and that stuff happens, but it's an and. So I would say we, we work best with people who are return focused, but it's not all they measure. Got it. In terms of, so it so sounds like you're getting investors coming in pretty low cost. There's no cost. You said no marketing spend. Lending people, lending money to individual farmers. Sounds like word of mouth is happening there. So really no cost. What are other things that you're doing just from a business standpoint to create this efficiency? Are you doing anything from a staff standpoint, from a hiring standpoint? Are there any other things that allow you to be so lean in terms of your organization? The challenge, like I mentioned before, is different expertise integrated as one. So like each component of our business in and of itself isn't necessarily complicated, but when added in with the other components. And so our team is very wide. Like we have an in-house engineer who does the technology platform development. We have a general counsel who does all of the regulatory and compliance. We have multiple operational staff who are dealing with pipeline 
deal management, but also our whole company, you know, HR corporate level work. And then we have the marketing promotion distribution and underwriting. So it's it's like everyone has their own division, basically. It's very wide. And and one thing I, I believe has been fundamental to steward, steward success is being a remote team. You know, when I when I founded the company from the beginning, it was remote. This was 2016 when I started. I was actually had just moved with my wife. We were moving abroad. We were we were bouncing around a few places. So it was part of it was I believed in the remote concept. Part of it was, well, I'm not any one place. So why would I make someone else be one place? And and what I've learned with building a remote team is it's the best access to talent. Like people pitch to, oh, no real estate costs. Sure, you know, that's nice. But what it really is, is I can hire anybody who comes our way. And so instead of saying this geography, which cuts out 99% of potential staff, we can hire anyone that comes in. And then they also tend to be located in different areas. Like, And that way, our team isn't just in these big cities at really high cost basis, is kind of disconnected from from their end customer, the farmer, they're actually within these communities able to live at a more reasonable cost, which means lower salaries, but also people happier. So I, I think by being remote, we have better talent at a better price and happier staff. And I think that's fundamental to what we've done in terms of like really efficient, but really committed, like re- really driven. Everyone at Seward is, is happy to be able to apply their skills towards the end goal of getting capital to these producers and seeing the benefit of these projects. One of them worked at JP Morgan for 20 years. So he learned how that world worked. And now he's helping us apply it in a different way. So often you're pulling skill sets from like related businesses that didn't have the values focus, but now they can use what they've learned, but with with a lens towards their passion. And that's really when I think you unlock people's capability. And then that just means you're a better run, you know, more capable organization. So I, I view the distributed platform, like distributed network of funders with the distributed network of farms and a distributed organization on top of that to be a really powerful combination. Do you have any examples or do you guys get to hear some of the stories when you fund someone, the type of transformation it has for them or impact to their either business, their farm, any type of stories in terms of once you fund it? We have so many good stories. I mean, the, the really? business is built on stories. Um, one of the one I loved most was one of the first farms we funded, one of the first two. It's called Fisheye Farms. It was an urban farm in Detroit. They were on a tenth of an acre of land. They're basically farming on their, their uncle's dry cleaner's side lot. So like <laughs> wow. a piece of land that wouldn't even be considered a real farm. And they weren't considered a real farm by the USDA. So the USDA says, well, you know, what even is this? It's not farming or gardening. But <laughs> I, we believed in them. They were selling to local restaurants. They were selling to the farmer's market. You could, you could tell these were passionate, motivated farmers. And so we helped them with $120,000 loan buy two acres of land from the Detroit Land Bank. We had 10,000 acres of land they had taken back through, through defaults and taxes. And so they had lots of excess land. They took those two acres of land. They took what was formerly degraded land, started growing food on it in a food desert, not only improved the soil, but also became an anchor for the community. And then COVID hit, and they were the, the only place within the region selling direct, and they pivoted their business overnight from restaurants to direct farm stand sales. And so they went from 10K revenue to 150000 in three years, went from kind of not considered a real business by most to being a business that sustains a whole family that really has proven the model of urban farming. And now they're looking for their for their next expansion. And so you take, I think what I found is like 120,000. That was one of our earlier loans. It's a very small amount of capital in the world of financing. Most lenders don't even consider deals that small. Right. But yet lenders on that deal earned a nine and a half percent return. 
The farmer themselves now has enough revenue and scale to sustain themselves. The farmer, and this is one of the stories about most, they, he was, uh, it was a husband-wife too, but he was selling, he was washing dishes at one of the restaurants he was selling food to. So it's like, that's how committed these farmers are. They do whatever they can for any source of off-farm income to allow them to farm. And the challenge is without external financing, they can't get to enough scale to have enough income to make it their full time. So they get stuck where they having to, to do other things to earn some income to sustain themselves. And so through our financing, they were able to give up all farm jobs, fully focus on the farm, get it to that viable scale. And so it's just a great sort of like, these producers will do whatever it takes to keep going, but it would be so much easier if they could actually access the resources they need. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. These producers will do whatever it takes to keep going, but it would be so much easier if they could actually access the resources they need. Yeah. What a cool story. Now, do most of your deals, do they tend to have like the 10th of an acre type thing? Do they tend to have some type of, I don't want to say oddity, I don't know what the right word is, but where it's not a conventional type... uh, yeah. Uh, it began that way. So I think, you know, when I began Steward. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. The way I learned about the gap in agriculture is through a chef uh, in the Mid-Atlantic out of Baltimore who was sourcing from over 150 regional farms and I got to know him. I got to know farmers he was buying from. So through him, I saw the kind of enormous demand for the farm-to-table regional food movement and then the inability for those producers to raise the financing. So we saw that gap and that mismatch between the two. I assumed that it was only the niche, really alternative farmers that had that gap. And so when we began, we first two farms were urban farms in Detroit. Then we funded a dairy farmer uh, an Amish dairy farmer in Lancaster County, who was actually had provided to that restaurant. So it was through that supply chain, then a hemp farm in Southern Oregon. So like, clearly those farms are not traditional. So I get why they don't fit in the system. Now we're working with a group of ranchers in Montana who have 200,000 acres to help them build processing and direct to sale. We're working with a farmer in Southwest New Mexico who has 6,000 acres, but can't get financing for the organic and regenerative inputs he wants to buy because they're not on the normal conventional chemical list that the, their, their normal bank's familiar with. So now we're financing businesses that have millions of dollars revenue, tens of millions of dollars of assets, multiple generations, and they can't get financing. So I'm blown away now that of the scale of the opportunity. I never thought we'd be working with those types of operations. I thought we'd be at the margins. But what I've realized is because the system the conventional system is built in such a rigid way. If you're not 
doing large-scale commodity production sold through the multinational supply chains, you're cut out. So the second you're doing anything different, using different types of inputs, wanting to process animals to keep the value, anything that's not just dumping it at the grain depot or auctioning it at a market, you're cut out. And so that, that's been the amazing thing to me that the with hundreds of billions of dollars of ag debt outstanding, like from afar, it seems like, well, what? why would steward be needed? Like there's, there's tons of capital in ag, but it's just all one type of money. It's just commodity ag, conventional financing. The second you get out of that market, you're stuck. And so that's why I see our opportunity in the billions and tens of billions. I think steward's going to be a huge platform. I think we could have millions of funders too, because it's not just that there's farmland and ag land everywhere. It's that everybody eats, everyone's connected to food. And so it's a bit strange that nobody has money in ag. People don't aren't connected to the land that is sustaining them. And so I think a big purpose of Steward is not just a new form of capital in the market, but how do we take people and reconnect them a bit with where their food is coming from? And, and that's the extra value that I really see in our platform, that it's creating relationships and connections that that go far beyond the economic return. What do you view like the biggest hurdle? Because it sounds like, I mean, some of the deals you're talking about when you the thousands of acres and stuff, that sounds like some pretty big stuff. What what do you view as is it going to be more of a capital issue, being able to get enough capital? What, what do you think is the biggest obstacle in terms of we're staying efficient? What do you think it is? So, you know, the business was founded in 2016, you know, multiple years of discovery of how to structure these deals, what type of regulatory framework we're going to use. And then 2020 is when we launched the platform publicly, started this participated lending model started, you know, trialing it. First deal was 10K, you know, small loans. Now I feel like we're at the point where we've done 30 million over uh, 90 projects over the past three years. About 20 million of that's just in the past 12 months. So, you know, it's really growing quickly. Uh, Three years, two years ago, it took us three months to raise 150,000 for a deal. Two weeks ago, we raised a million dollars in an hour. And so like this pace is really, really, really picking up. So we've now got like a growing and engaged capital base, a respected farmer base. Like it takes time to earn credibility with farmers for sure. And so like every deal we do that we prove that we've honored the agreements, that we've not only provided capital, we've gone above and beyond to help in other ways and whatever ways we're needed. And so now it's like, well, how do we scale this? How do we grow it? And I think the biggest challenge for me is not to grow too quickly. I think that it's it's more likely that we would fail by growing too fast, originating too many loans not quite having the servicing and systems in place, maybe not really understanding something about the market that we thought we knew, and then we have then we can't recover from that. Whereas if we just say each year we're going to grow 50 to 100%, we're going to build our capacity, build our understanding, like make sure the deals are working, that actually the, the farmers are succeeding, that's going to be the real resilience. So it's similar when you said, you know, the 15 years, like this is a multi-generational business to me. I mean, it took... The consolidation of ag and the commoditization of ag is really a post-World War II phenomenon where farm sizes expand, number of farmers dropped. You know, that that's a relatively recent thing. It's about a hundred years. So in the scale of human history, it's it's very small. So it's very possible and likely to me that you agricultural practices that focus on renewable resources and maintenance of resources and ecological health long term are going to be the ones that thrive. But it's going to take decades to rebuild a different agricultural system, go back to a regional scale, focus on traceable supply chains. And so I think a lot of times people see the climate crisis, they see all of the challenges and poverty and lack of access to food, and they want immediate solutions within a few years that change everything. And that's just not that's just not realistic. Like there's a slow time scale. So I think it's 
how do we really focus on reliable, consistent, long-term growth and making sure we're not going too ahead? Because some of those platforms you previously mentioned that you know created new funding concepts and then scaled and went public a few years later, and then all of a sudden they blow up. It, it tends to be a recurring theme. And often that's too fast, too quickly, too much money out the door, and they didn't quite understand something. They, their underwriting model was off or they didn't have the servicing. And so that's where I view like we're not venture backed. I self-funded the company for five years. I'm the largest owner. We have a hundred other investors from a few thousand to a few million, all syndicated long-term patient equity. And so just just as important to the business is the right capital structure. And we've built steward to have that, to have patient money that that wants a return, but like most important are the values and the outcome that like that this works, that this proves the viability of this market. And that's how I, I feel a responsibility with Steward that if if we didn't succeed, it would have a real chilling effect on anyone else trying to prove the viability of regenerative agriculture. You know, we're we're a leader in a fairly new sector. And if we can prove the economic viability of this type of farming and earn returns for people while having farmers thrive, then then the sky's the limit. But we just need to make sure that that's the case. Right. How do you slow down the growth though? Because like, you know, once People want to throw money at you um, and want to be part of it. And then people asking you for money. How do you like... And I agree with you. I think that's where things kind of fall apart is it just all happens too fast. But how do you how do you slow it down? Do you just have to basically say, hey, we're not accepting money or we're not lending money? Or what? what's that look like? It's really the type of capital. And so okay. you know, from a holding company ownership equity perspective, like venture and private equity versus syndicated direct relationships, that's the huge difference, right? One wants control and one wants to be able to force you to exit IPO or sale in a few years. Whereas the other one is just is along for the ride. They don't have the ability to sell the company and push you out. So that provides the resilience as a business. And then as a platform, we're all we're a two-sided marketplace, right? We've got thousands of funders on one side, now hundreds of farmers and borrowers on the other. Keeping those in balance is challenging. And so sometimes it's you have more capital than deals, then all of a sudden you have more deals than capital and you're always going back and forth. But you just want to keep them growing. Like you just don't want to get too far ahead in one direction. But at this point, like we can put out a lot of capital. So now today it's like the more funders that come to us, the more we can put out. And we're creating new products to do that. So we've got our direct loan product where people lend through us to a specific farm. They earn interest in principle. They are directly tied to the performance of that project. So that's the narrative-driven approach I've talked about. But we also had, had funders come to us and say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to pick specific projects. Like I don't want to one have to do that diligence and I don't want the risk of loss of a single deal. Can you create a portfolio product? So recently we've created a pooled product where people can lend backed by a portfolio of many loans as opposed to a single one. And that's brought a new form of capital. And it's also given us a a form of shorter term financing that we can use within the project. So a lot of my time is like, how do we create the right financial product so that as capital comes in, it's going to the right place? Like it's, it's, it's additive, it's helping, it's part of a symbiotic system. And so I, I think it's about being realistic and building those mechanisms and you know growth can happen we're we're seeing huge growth at steward we're up 80% year over year but we're not like we're not doing whatever it takes for growth we're building a strong business and from a strong business growth creates got it so you got the foundation solid you're focusing on that and then as stuff comes in you're able to handle it without kind of the wheels falling off 
Yeah, there's a famous line, Seth Klarman, who's a famous kind of investor. I think he's focused on the downside and let the upside take care of itself. I like that. That's a good one. So cool. So hey, if people wanted to get involved, I know your website is gosteward.com. What would that look like if someone wanted to be involved in this, whether mostly on the investing side is, is how I'm asking the question. So then go to gosteward.com and create an account. They can either lend to specific projects, like we just made a loan to a bison ranch in West Virginia, $600,000 loan, 8.5% interest. People earn their principal and interest as they fund the loan. Or they can put money into that pooled vehicle, which currently offers 6.5% annual interest at a nine-month term. And so that's both options. They can either have a longer-term allocation to a specific project, or they can just drop money in the central credit pool and that way earn interest. So we want to uh, let anyone participate from little as $100, but we also have people who have millions of dollars. So I view if you care about regenerative agriculture, your focus on resilience within regional food systems, you know, whatever capital size you're at and wherever you want to be in the market, like we provide an efficient way to put the capital in. And then our expertise is that servicing and origination. What happens, because it's inevitable, a loan's going to default, especially in the case of the direct one. I imagine in the one where you've got them combined, it's a little more insulated. But when you're dealing with the direct one, what happens? I mean, how much do you guys get involved in terms of the collection of that? And you know, what could an investor expect to happen? Yeah, it's a very good question. So we're we're very involved. We're the originator of all the loans. We're the lender of record. So Steward Lending LLC has the agreement with the borrower and the rights and controls to the collateral and enforce it. And we're the servicer. So nothing's sold off. Nothing is with someone else. It's with us the whole time. We've made 90 loans. We've only had one default, and that was just a $30,000 loan. So we have a 0.3% loan loss rate. So very low. Wow. Five years in, so now very reasonable. What we found is is being flexible and making adjustments to the loan. So somebody will lose a customer, they'll have a labor issue, they'll have a weather issue. We had an oyster farmer who had a who had a die out because of a heat wave. Like things happen to the enterprises. As long as you can adjust, defer those payments, give them a few months to recover, put push payments at the end of the year, maybe go interest only for a certain period. You can help adapt and get them back on our feet. And so that that happens in the course of, let's say, a five-year loan to a, to an agricultural business, it will run into a challenge. Like it, it is going to happen. It's inevitable. But because we're holding the loans and we have the direct borrower relationship, and then because we have a values-aligned funder audience who we go to for modifications, you know, if we're, if we're going to modify the loan, that we present it to them for approval. But because they're hoping for success with that business, they're willing to make those adjustments. Okay, we'll defer three months, we'll put it on the back end, that'll give them time to recover. And so that that we've had a lot of success with is modifying, adjusting, working with the business. And then we also provide ancillary services to these farmers. So we have a grant writer who writes grants on behalf of farmers to try to bring other capital that's available. We're also assisting some of them that when I mentioned Fish Eye Farms, we help them build a direct consumer website. And so we also go above and beyond of like how can we help this business succeed so that it's more likely to repay the loan. And I think that's a future phase of our company is how we build either a labor marketplace or a services network. Like how do we provide the expertise to help those farms thrive? But ultimately, I mean, what the question you asked is the main one, which is people have to earn a net return that's reasonable, commensurate with the risk. You know, so if they're blended average earning 8% and there's a 50 50 basis point and the 50 basis points of losses and their net return, you know, seven, seven and a half percent, 
that's good. People people are going to be fine with that. But if the net return is zero or negative, it's not going to last. It's not going to work. So like you have to have financial performance. Like as much as the vision, the narrative, the values, all of that matters. Like the deals have to work. Does cash flow have you down? Profit not where you think it should be. Maybe it's the long hours. Let's meet to see if I can help. I bridge driving the financial performance of your business to hit growth and success targets. Book a complimentary meeting at meetforgrowth.com to get started now. Once again, that's meetforgrowth.com. I look forward to talking with you. And thanks for listening to the show. You have to have financial performance. Like as much as the vision, the narrative, the values, all of that matters. Like the deals have to work. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on those zeros and negatives. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. You're right. You know, I, I came into this going, wow, this is kind of an interesting business. But as you tell the stories, it like brings it to, or not even so much just the story, the one story you shared is awesome. But also just like when you say oyster farm or bison farm, it's like it brings it to life so much. It's like, that's kind of cool. You're investing in a bison, bison farm or you're helping some dude out that has an oyster farm or whatever. And obviously with you know natural disasters and stuff and all the stuff going on in our climate and stuff, things are going to happen. So it's going to cause, you're going to, like you said, you're going to have adjustments alone as long as you go in with an open mind on that. Sounds like the loans are still getting service and paid. It's just maybe under a little different scenario to keep it going. Correct. And, and that's our model too. We're providing credit. All the upside is to the borrower, right? We're not taking ownership in their business. And so they're really incentivized. Like this is their livelihood. They that's put cool. everything they have into it. They want it to work. We want it to work. So you have a really productive relationship. It's definitely very different from the lender relationship. Actually, two two of our 10 staff we're former borrowers. We're actually people we funded wow. who actually came in. So it shows how we're viewed and the relationship we have with with our customers is that they're actually coming to work for us because they're so motivated by the model that they want to have that type of uh, engagement beyond just being someone that we've provided capital to. So I think that's always something I bring up of like, if you're doing things ethically, if you're treating people well, even with an economic exchange, if you're, if you're transparent and honest, like you can build real confidence. Like you can actually do financial transactions that are net beneficial to people. And I think that's growing up in real estate. Real estate's an aggressive market. You're not, it's more zero sum. It's people fighting over deals, fighting over basis points. This market, like how do we grow? How do we heal this land? How do we improve the organic model of the soil? How do we improve the nutritional content of the food? How do we sell things at a good price for the producer so they earn a good income? Like how do we build something that has economic value, but, but, also has other external benefits. Like how can we make a tra- each transaction a net positive? And that's really the goal. How can like every new dollar coming into our platform have a resulting net positive impact? And that just, that means growth is, growth delivers more outcome. And that's, that's the business we've tried to build where the natural outcome of our business succeeding is that you have healthier soils, that you have cleaner watersheds, that people have access to nutritious food. And that's not, you know, from a charitable purpose, it's we care about it. That's why. But that's just the net result of good ethical farming practices. Yeah, very cool. Well, hey, I uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I wish you the best of luck. Your website, again, is ghoststeward.com. So please feel free, folks, to go over there. I'll put it in the show notes at thinktyler.com. Dan, I can't thank you enough. I, I think what you got going on is pretty cool. And I love your passion about it. And it sounds like you're really helping helping farmers and helping various different types of people uh, be able to get access to capital that they normally wouldn't have. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Tyler. I, I always love talking about it. It is very passionate to me. And that's where 
if you can pick a business that aligns with your passion, aligns with your history, it's amazing how much effort you're willing to put into it. So true. That's so true. Wise words. Thanks again. I hope to talk with you again. Maybe when you're uh, at the next venture in your next phase in your venture, we can have another conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Take care. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling, styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.